Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. So I have a couple things from, uh, from last week. Remember when uh, I mentioned uh, that verse in the Bible that talks about reviling? And you may not remember that, but I remember all these like details. And so anyway, I thought that what reviling had to do with is over-the-top partying, okay? That's because it was attached to that word of being drunk. So, you know, drunk and over-the-top partying, and I felt kind of convicted by that. But actually... What the actual meaning of that is subjecting somebody to verbal abuse. That's what that is. Okay, so, so you can be aware of that, that, that that's actually, that's seen as a sin in, in the scriptures, and that's what it's talking about. Okay, and, and again, you could put the two together in terms of, of getting drunk. A lot of times when people get, have too much alcohol, as an example, that loosens the tongue. And very often people, it, you know, the, the inhibiting role that one's conscience can play or, or at least uh, limiting impulsivity, if you want to think about it that way, decision making kind of goes out the window if you have too much to drink. And so there, that makes a lot of sense that those two, two things, including what you say. So I thought that was pretty insightful. Yeah, John. Well, you know, it just seems to me, too, that whether you're drinking or not, uh, social media seems to have that same effect. Uh, people being able to berate other people. Yes. Uh, maybe not their friends, but if they respond to something, they just openly say stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. I, and I'm not, I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm a big, one of the interest areas for me to, to study and learn about is kind of how the brain is wired and how the brain functions and all those kinds of things. And so I think people are noticing that about social media. And to some degree, email is the same thing, that when you're one step removed from interacting with another human and you're doing it on a screen, okay, you get pretty riled up. And, and then, then it's just that, oh, uh, 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 hit send. And then as soon as you hit send, if you have any regrets about it, it's too late, right? And that's what happens. And so you can get people that are in these email wars with each other and these social media fistfights and, and saying things and, and articulating things that they would never say to somebody face-to-face. But, but get into that sort of flow, if you will, it's like common decency and civility and not even if it's Christian or not, just, you know, human to human integrity out the window. Okay. So there is something to be said, I think, for either if you're going to do that program into your phone or your whatever your device is a delay. So like my phone actually has that and it, it, and it wasn't like I needed it, but I'm glad it's there. Okay, it's like this delay and it goes, um, you have five seconds to change your mind, right? <laughs> and, or I will send this. I mean, it's sort of like that. And I'm thinking, you know, God, did somebody like put that in my phone because they thought I needed it? Or, or is it just that it was there? And it's pretty neat. It's a pretty, you can, del- you can hit send and then go, oh, wait a minute and stop. But, you know, a lot of people don't think that way. They just, here it goes. And then we'll justify it by saying, well, I'm just sharing how I feel, right? (laughs) 
Well, you know, you can share how you feel poorly or you can do it well. And I think that's part of the issue of terms of if you're going to say what you think, maybe you need to consider the possibility that what you think isn't true. But that sort of gets lost in that. You know, people say, well, if I'm thinking it, it must be true. No, you're just thinking it. And, and there is a difference between the two. Okay? So that's excellent. Good point. Yeah. One thing as a teacher, whenever we have those interesting parent emails. Interesting parent emails for, as a teacher. Okay, good. That contexts this. Yeah. So a lot of us, um, long before we'll send back to the parent, we'll, we'll write it, and then we go have someone else read what we've written. To yeah. make sure that, you know, how it sounds back. Yes. That's right. You know, you know, you're stating facts to them, but mm-hmm. you still have to be careful of how you state it to them. Yeah. I do a lot of kind of one of my extra part-time jobs is that I do a lot of uh, reconciliation work between people that are kind of at odds with each other. And sometimes a way to sort of initiate that is to have people write a letter. But I always tell them that if you're going to do that, send that to me and then I'll, because I have a more objective view, I'll be able to sort of hear it and we might have to tweak it a little bit. So that's, you know, that's sometimes a legitimate way to initiate conversation with somebody, particularly if there's a history there of, you know, uh, difficult feelings and, and, and sometimes. So, so sometimes the face-to-face initially doesn't work. And so you have to come up with another way to get that, that reconciliation conversation going. So that's the same idea there. Yeah, very much so. Okay, any other thoughts? Okay, the other thing is we talked, I don't think it was last week, but it might have been the week before. Somebody had asked about the seven deadly sins and kind of where that all came from. And uh, so anyway, I have a neat little uh, chart here. Uh, Brenda Mears actually sent this to me. I thought it was very helpful. Is that the seven deadly sins is part of a philosophy. It's a philosophical uh, deal more than it is necessarily a religious deal. And so I think that what happened over time was that it became uh, associated exclusively with Catholic thinking. But I, th- I, I think it predated Catholic thinking and then was absorbed into it. And so actually the way this chart is laid out is that the seven deadly sins are the opposite pole of the seven wonderful virtues, okay? So it's like you can get, you get, the, you get the polarity of the two. So an example of the sin would be pride on the one extreme, and then the other extreme would be what do you think? Humility, okay? So you can kind of see that's how they, that never was intended to be only, we are only going to focus on the sin part and not talk about the the opposite of that, which would be the, the preferred thing. Okay. So anyway, if you want to look at that, you can, and, or just send Brenda a thousand emails and let's go and maybe she would respond or give that to you in some way. She probably got that off of Google, but I don't know exactly what her, uh, what her source is. Okay. Oh, it's in Wikipedia. So there you go, which is more authoritative than Google. So, okay. All right. So, uh, okay. So last week, we, uh, we're continuing at Sixth Commandment, and this, this commandment probably is going to be breaking the record for the number of lessons, that uh, number of weeks that it takes to work through. Have you noticed that? And hey, you know what? That's okay, because there is a lot in our society today 
that is confronting Christians and particularly uh, conservative biblical Christianity in terms of what do we do with it, how do we respond to it, etc. And so at the end of our lesson last week, a question was asked that I thought was really good, and I think I only answered part of it. So I'm going to ask the person who asked the question to ask it again so that, because I want to, I want to give it the uh, the respect that, that uh, in the spirit in which it was asked. So, Debbie, you want to ask that question? Henry Rose. Okay. So, it was really two questions. Two que- oh, it was two questions. Okay, well, that explains why I only answered one of them. And my yeah. mind does go like, yeah. and I jump from topic to topic, okay. so I can't believe you couldn't understand it. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> so, the first one was, I was, it wasn't a, I was just asking like you personally, mm-hmm. since we were talking about the fact that if you are homosexual, that it's within you, mm-hmm. what your thoughts were of, are we born with that, or is that something we learn? Okay. Okay? Yeah. The second part of it was that, and it was not directed to you, but like we as Christians. Mm-hmm. So I have all type of people in my life, and I've met gay couples and love them dearly. Mm-hmm. And we think of everyone as a child of God. But how do we in our minds then take that to, that we also know it's a sin. Okay. Now I know why I only answered one of those questions. <laughs> so, okay. So what we were talking about initially, and it was a statement probably that I, well, I made it w- with respect to the difference between an orientation, it, it, which would define kind of more of how I am. Okay. Versus what I do. All right. And in, in our understanding of this, and I say our, this is kind of our Lutheran understanding as well, is that we do differentiate between the two. And, 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 and so that would fit kind of with anything that we're talking about, okay? How I am as an individual in terms of my being, okay, my personality and kind of all the things about me, whatever that would be included in that, is distinguished between what I do, Okay choices I make and actions I commit and thoughts I have and words I say and all those kinds of things. So that's, that, that's, it's connected, but it is still separate. Okay. All right. So we, what we were talking about was the aspect of what's called same sex attraction. Same sex attraction is, I believe a real thing. I believe, I don't think people make that up. I think, I think to some degree, and I don't know, I can't definitively say, oh, here's where it comes from. Okay, and that's, that's the question I think that a lot of people want to know is, well, am I born with that, or is there something that happens in my early life, including the womb maybe, and then in, in, in on into my life that would lean me in that direction? Okay, I, nobody's come up with the definitive answer on that. But what I can say anecdotally is, is that the folks that I've talked to who, who have what's called SSA, same-sex attraction, have felt that their whole lives. And parents that I've talked to whose children have that, they have said, I, I saw it from the very beginning. So that's anecdotally. I, I don't know. I think everybody's kind of looking for the, the so-called smoking gun, the, the definitive thing that will say, this is something you were born with versus this is something that is the product of uh, how you were nurtured and et cetera. Okay. Maybe it's going to end up being a little bit of both and. 
So, so the, the, the issue would be, at least from our biblical perspective, conservative biblical Christianity, I keep saying it that way, is that there would be a difference in terms of how, how I am versus what I do with it. And I think that's a fair treatment of that. If, in fact, it turns out that people are born with that, there still is the question in terms of what do I do with my life? And do I live my life in such a way that is consistent within the boundaries that God has put in place for our good, right? And it's consistent with the biblical record, or am I going to ditch that or modify it in some way to where it fits better with what I feel? And that's the dilemma, okay? That's the dilemma. There's a lot of things that you probably could argue are part of a person's personality and, and part of uh, inclinations that a person would have. Gravitational pulls one way or the other, some of which could be considered and are immoral. So do I give in to that and say, well, that's the way I am, and maybe then try to make the case for the idea biblically that this is the way God made me, and I'm only being true to myself if I do this, or is there another option? And biblical, conservative biblical Christianity would say there are other options. But the, but the gay community and the, the theology that's being promoted would say, no, there is no other option. In fact, you're not, you're, not being tr- you're not only not being true to yourself, you are not being true to the way God has made you. And that's the leap. And there is a very intentional effort being made to... To, to uh, legitimize biblically that position from the gay community. And there are some really smart people that are doing this. I'm reading, currently I'm reading a book right now called God and the Gay Christian. Now it's interesting, the title itself is quite revealing about the position that the writer is taking, who himself is gay. So there's a little bit of, a, of an effort being made by someone who is gay and is promoting the gay life to legitimize it in terms of what the Bible says. And I'm reading through it partly because I want to try to understand where that position is coming from, what it's doing, what its uh, presuppositions are, because you're, you're going to be in a better position, or I think I am in a better position to articulate where biblical, conservative biblical Christianity is coming from if you know where the other side's coming from, okay? So that's my, that's my reasoning for do that. And I do that a lot. I, I read a lot to, so that at least I can be intellectually honest about where the other side's coming from as opposed to where our, our position is. Yeah. Well, one of the, maybe on the other side of the coin is, is how do we, because I have gay friends as well. Sure. And how do we react to it? What, what kind of, I mean, it's probably very much an individual thing. Right. But how do we react to it and our attitude toward it as Christians? Yeah. And I think that's the second question, isn't it? Is, is, is if we take the view that everybody's a child of God, okay, in terms of who they are, that doesn't mean I'm living it out. And we have to make that distinction. If we don't make that distinction, then we can say, well, anything goes because we're all children of God. And there's a salvation aspect to that for a lot of people where they say that there's nothing that I can do that would disqualify me from eternal life. 
because I'm living out my destiny as a child of God. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, and I, I kind of find for myself personally, in terms of a, a, the conflicted part for me is how do you relate then? How do what do you do? See, you're, you're sitting down with that person across the, the desk from you or the chair from you. And, and they're pouring out their soul to you about their struggle. See, how do you, what do you do? Just slam them and say, you know, boy, you're going to hell because of what you think and do. I, I can't say that. That's not even true, right? And, and so we want to be compassionate on the one hand and yet not get wishy-washy about what we believe on the other hand. And I think that's the dilemma for a lot of us as biblically conservative Christians who have people in our walk of life, including family members and other people that are very dear to us. How do you, what, how do you do that? And, and that is not, that, that's a, that's a crummy conversation they have to have, but some of us have to have that conversation. And then how do you do it? How do you do it? So yeah, Phil. Uh, I like, whenever I have those discussions, I, I, I relate on the subject that we all have some struggle Mm -hmm. that we're born with in our life. Uh, Some men may have an uncontrollable urge to be just attracted to uh, women, right. no matter what, right. even if they are in a committed relationship, right. even if they are married, right. they they repeatedly, you know, cheat, commit adultery. It, they feel like it's in their nature, yeah. and that's the struggle they're born they're born with. They mm-hmm. have, uh, and that they need to work through. Much like someone that may have same sex attraction mm-hmm. is born with, in my opinion, and, yeah. and needs to work through as well. If they want to, if they if they truly want to live biblically and whatnot, if, right. if they want to do that. And where I find that I draw the line, um, at least in a biblical sense, mm-hmm. I look to, I can't remember if it's first or second Thessalonians, uh, where uh, in, in his letter he's, he's saying, who, who am I to judge those outside the church? Right. I'm more concerned about those inside the church right. and what you're doing to present your, yourselves to those outside the church. Mm-hmm. Because if, if someone's in a committed homosexual relationship or even a, a committed same-sex relationship uh, I'm sorry heterosexual relationship mm-hmm. um, and but they're they say they they don't they don't care to practice Christianity they don't want to be of the church right. uh, I, I drop it at that I just continue living my life mm-hmm. the way that I think right. should be should be lived yeah I think I, I think and and I like what you're saying I think that part of what's going on in the bigger picture aspect of things is a, is a persecution. It may be it's soft persecution in some sense of conservative biblical Christianity that when you get into the, the attempt to redefine and retranslate, and that's what's, what's so um, intriguing to me is, is, to think that we should just simply retranslate what Paul talked about in Thessalonians and in Timothy and in Romans and all those things. And to sort of um, say that, well, that was how it was in those days, but we're living in different days today. And so then therefore that changes the, uh, the, the, uh, the prohibitions. Okay. That there's a lot of people today that are being drawn into that 
and then saying about biblical Christianity from a conservative perspective that it's um, that it's in error. And so, again, it's it's a little bit of being mindful of what's going on in in the one on one conversations with somebody, which is kind of what we're talking about mostly. But to be aware that there's a greater effort going on worldwide in the theological community to 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 literally say, um, you guys have been wrong for uh, 2,500 years, and, and now it's time to get it right. And, uh, you know, I think to some degree, people that are already trying to make a case for that they can legitimatize this, they're buying into it. And so, you know, who's, who, who do we blame for that? I, I tend to kind of tend to look at the, the teachers and the people that are promoting it and, as opposed to the individuals who are buying into it. Yeah, Grace. What about the homosexuals who marry in an effort to prove that they're not? To themselves, I think, as much as anything. Okay, I'm not, I'm not tracking, I'm not tracking with you. A homosexual, okay, pastor, Mm -hmm. marries, has children, then leaves his wife and goes off. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Now, how does the church handle people like that? We're very sad when that happens. It's not unusual that to use the female as... Right. I, I, I would have to take that on an individual basis, not because I would say that one of them is right and one of them is wrong. It's not that, okay? But I think there's a lot of complexity that goes on when someone who has same-sex attraction is struggling to leave that. And so sometimes what can happen is, is that the thought is, well, if I just get married, that will reduce this pull in me. If I just have sex with my wife, that will reduce the pull in me. If I just have kids, that will reduce the pull in me. Well, the reality is, is it does not. It does not reduce the pull. And that's part of, I think, where from a lay perspective, we don't get that. We don't quite understand that. Okay? Maybe a similar but not exact uh, thought about or similarity, maybe say it that way, is with people that are and have been addicted to pornography for like since eighth grade, as an example. Okay? Sometimes the thought in the mind of someone who's addicted to pornography is, well, if I just get married, that will go away. If I just have sex with my wife, that will go away. If I have kids, that will go away. Guess what? It doesn't go away. And in some sense, it gets more. It gets more powerful, okay? So there is a complexity there that where we would say how tragic it is that a family now is, uh, is broken up as a result of the choice then to leave that marriage and go and live with somebody else and kind of be true to myself and all those kinds of things. But in the case where you have kids then, that just, un- that just turns that kid's life upside down because it's like, wait a minute, here I always thought it was this and now it's that. And I've known some, and I do know, some adult children whose uh, father did that very thing. Not so much mother, but father. And it just, 
you know, here 20, 30 years later, they're still having, trying to get their brain wrapped around something that absolutely makes no sense, okay? So it's, it's, there's a complexity there, all right? And that's why, um, again, um, and I've said this like 20 times, is you're not going to hear me get up in the pulpit and, and do a fire and brimstone sermon about this because, because in my view, this needs to be a conversation. This needs to be, we're going to work this through and we're going to figure out what is needed and what's going on as opposed to just making blanket statements about stuff that on the one hand, yeah, sin's involved to be sure. But there's also a complexity there. And I want that to be a one-on-one rather than, for me personally, I want that to be a one-on-one rather than a, uh, you know, me saying something and then 200 people are hearing it. Yeah. I was just going to say, I agree with how Phil handles things. Yeah. And that's how I've always handled it. But you can have a situation, which I've had recently, where you have to distance yourself from a person. I knew Mm -hmm. a woman had two children, got divorced, and then got into a same-sex relationship. What has happened over time is she has so immersed herself in that culture Mm -hmm. that she is very Mm anti-Christian, very militant anti-Christian, and to a degree, she is actively promoting people to come into that. That's correct. That's right. So in that particular situation, because it makes me feel funny inside, Mm -hmm. I just had to distance myself. Now she's fine with this because I am the antithesis of Yeah, that there's a clear line now of... Yeah, yeah. in this particular case, it was something I had to do. You know, I could not because it was kind of like we were saying last week Mm -hmm. that people, you know, you try to to bring people Mm -hmm. in and that kind of stuff. So I totally agree, and that's pretty much how I handled it, but you can have a situation where you have to kind of stand your ground and say, you know what, this is too much for me to deal with. I think the more difficult thing is what if it's your child? See, what if it's your, you know, best friend? I mean, where, where there's... There, there is some need to continue to invest in the relationship, and, and yet clearly this person is, is no longer in that searching, struggling role or phase, but now is, this is my conviction, this is what's right, and, and I'm going it, and it won't matter what you say or do. Okay? So a couple things to kind of finally get back to the second question that... Uh, that Debbie asked is to think, uh, so here's just kind of some thoughts I have, and I'm, I'm basing this kind of on my own personal experience with it, okay, in terms of ministering to it, and then also just in conversations with other people, and realize that there's some, there's, it, it, it's a work in progress, okay, work in progress. So the deal for me is, is that I want the door to stay open. And so kind of at the end of the day, my thought is, what might it take for that to happen? Okay, now again, you're probably getting a little bit more Giamatti than you're probably getting what somebody else, another pastor would get up here and say, all right? But that's what you're getting. So if, if I'm thinking in terms of um, keeping the door open, what I mean is, is that I'm not saying I'm open to the position that person is taking. And I make it real clear when I'm not. I want to be true to what I believe and true to um, the uh, vow I've taken in terms of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So I'm going to do that. 
But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to be the one to say we can't talk anymore. They're probably going to say that, and very often they do. Very often, whatever cutting off occurs, it's that they don't want to talk to me anymore. All right? So they absent themselves from my open door. But the open door will stay open. And part of it is because, I'll get to you in just a second, Carl. Um, part of it is, is that I know how life is for broken people. And how I know that is because I are one, right? We're all broken. None of us can say, oh, you know, that's you, but that's not me. We might be able to say that in terms of individual choices we made, but we can't say that in terms of the brokenness that we have. So I know what it's like to be broken, to sit down and talk with somebody else who's broken. And then we can kind of share, we can kind of share that commonality we have, we have with each other. But having said that, I also know that God's word is pretty clear about these things in terms of what's the best life for me. And the best life for me is to live within the, the boundaries that he has put in place for my good, even if I don't agree with them. And that's oftentimes the hard part is what if I don't agree with them or it just doesn't feel right to me. Okay. So, uh, so that's the first thing is that that's what's governing my thought is that I want to respect that person enough to let them know where I'm coming from. But I do it in a, you know, I do it, I think, in a gentle way. I do it in a firm way, certainly. But, but I do it in a way that is, I'm mindful of the way that you say things. And the words that you use can be harsh. And I would rather have God's word be the harsh than me. Okay, if that makes any sense. Okay, so that's kind of where I come from. Um, I think we can listen a lot more than we do. Sometimes in the Christian community, we would rather tell than listen. Okay? So I kind of think that if we do a lot of listening, that in itself validates somebody. And to some degree, I think that people are looking for someone to value them enough. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You just have to value them. And listening is a lost art of valuing. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to lean toward uh, listening. I am going to stand by and and I think we should do this as Christians stand by. This is what the scriptures say. This is this is where the Bible is coming from. Just be aware that in the in that community um, and your friend probably would be uh, indicative of that, that they're creating a whole new theology. So the same verses that we use, they're re- retranslating and redefining as it didn't mean this, instead it meant that. And you have to be aware of that, that that's why getting into dual of Bible passages isn't going to work. You know, oh, you give me one, I'll give you three. You know, it, it, it doesn't work because the same verses are being used, but they're being redefined. They're being retranslated. Okay, so that would be just be aware of that. Stay engaged. You know, eventually life, the brokenness of life has a way of sort of making the wheels fall off. And when they do, who is that person going to talk to? We want at least one of the voices in that person's mind to be yours. Because if it's only the voice of the community of which they are a part, they're going to get an entirely different perspective, an entirely different answer. And it will not be uh, conservatively biblical. 
Okay, so you want you want to engage. You don't want to cut off. Um, here's some practical things. So let's say that this is your son or your daughter, and they go off to school or wherever they go, and they meet that special person, that partner person, and they say, "We want to get married." Now it's legal. Do you go to the wedding? I would say that that's an issue of your conscience. Because on the one hand, you're thinking, if I don't go to the wedding, I am wounding this kid forever. And now I got to deal with that. On the other hand, you say, well, if I do go to the wedding, am I condoning something that I believe is wrong and could never be justified in a biblical way? It's a rock and hard place, isn't it? What would Jesus have done? You know that saying, what would Jesus do? What do you think he would have done? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't really know. I don't know what Jesus would have done. I know what Jesus did a lot of times, but that's only because it's written down. I don't really know. I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, well, what would St. Paul have done? You know, the argument is made oftentimes, well, Jesus didn't say anything about gay marriage, so it must be okay. Well, well, then now we're going to, what we're going to do is pit Jesus against St. Paul and say Jesus is more authoritative because he was the son of God. Well, yeah, I know, but it's all inspired scripture. It's all infallible. It's all inerrant. That's what we confess. So if that's the case, it doesn't matter if Jesus said it or St. Paul said it. It's still the word of God. So see, that's, that's part of the, uh, part of the cases that people are attempting to make in uh, justifying this is that, well, Paul said one thing and a lot about it, but Jesus didn't say anything about it. So then therefore Jesus is more important than Paul. Well, okay. in salvation he is, but not in terms of the legitimacy or the authority of scripture. Okay. So, uh, so I would say that either way you go, your heart will break. And if you're a parent, you've already been down that road. Your heart will break. And so don't try to carry that burden by yourself. You know, we, there are people that you can talk to. And you may not know who they are, but I know who they are. And so you could give me a call or text me or email me or something because there are people that have been there and have worked through that and are working through that every day, day at a time, an hour at a time, a minute at a time. And they're doing it. And we have to, you know, sometimes call on that, that heart and call on that experience from again, from a Christian biblical perspective. Okay. Does that make sense when I say it that way? Yeah, Carl, I've been ignoring you now forever, but your openness point is extremely important. Sorry. What openness is extremely important. Yes. Um, unfortunately, the OPT doesn't want to be open. Um, you know, we, we, there are numerous, um, gay recovery organizations today that are working with those who would like to try the recovery. Some can and some can't, as you just described. Right. Some find themselves drawn into that community because of relationships as opposed to mm-hmm. physical draw. Right. Uh, that can 
and have been proven to be able to be brought out of it. Yes. Um, the LGBT community does not want you to think or them to think of this as an addiction. That's correct. That's the. And would they that's correct. Deny someone going to a drug addiction recovery program? Probably not. But this is just like pornography. I mean, Jesus said to the, the prostitute, "Go and sin no more." She was addicted in her not only in her lifestyle but also in her. Her, um, yeah. Uh, occupation. Yeah, and but the, what you need to know is that that makes perfect sense to us from a conservative biblical perspective. So it really is that the language is being um, is changing from the I'm going to call it revisionist perspective. Okay, the revisionist perspective would say that that. The, the idea of calling what uh, gay lifestyle, to use uh, that sort of euphemism, is not an addiction. So see, that's why, the, that's why the conversation breaks down. That's why the debate breaks down, is because once I redefine something as something from what it was to what it is now, we don't have any basis of how do we... How do we discuss that with each other? Okay. Just, yeah, you know, sexuality is not an addiction. It's a perpetuation of, of wrong sexuality. Yeah. That becomes like pornography sure. and ongoing things sure. of major that yeah. you become addicted to. So. So am I answering Debbie? Am I answering your question? It good because I got lost in my own answer, so I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know if I did or not, but see, it just this just demonstrates the 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 complexity of it. I would just sort of say that we should not be afraid of this. I think we are, frankly, but but we don't have to be afraid of this because if we're afraid of something, we will try to avoid the conversation. And I do think that there are some people that are more skilled in the conversation than others are. Okay. And I would say there are some people that are way more even than me. So, so I regularly turn to other people to help me with how do you articulate this? How do you say this? And if need be, I refer people to those people because to some degree, if you've been there and done that, you have a better grasp of that struggle than somebody who hasn't been there and hasn't done that and yet has come out on the other side. Okay? Yeah. to this. You talk about the, the gay community redefining the Bible. Yeah. What about the area of promiscuity? So, say again. What about the topic of just promiscuity, whether it's same sex or opposite sex? Right. Are the places in the Bible that get reinterpreted for that, or is that kind of still biblical? From well, here's kind of the interesting thing that he's asking if, if other verses in the Bible regarding sexual immorality in general, okay, the Bible talks about, uses that term, sexual immorality. And it doesn't matter if it's homosexual or if it's heterosexual, it's still condemned as a, or recognized as a sin. And he's asking the question if, if the revisionists are redefining those terms as well as from the gay perspective. So here's what's kind of, what's happened societally is that people are placing way more weight now on the idea that if you are committed, that is the same as being married. 
So you'll hear people say it all the time. Well, so-and-so, if someone, if someone is in a loving, committed relationship, now often that's used to describe um, uh, gay relationships where marriage has not occurred. And prior to people being married, because it wasn't legal, now it is, that's the way it was described. That if you're in a loving, committed relationship, monogamous relationship with your partner, well, then that's different than if you are have if you're uh, promiscuous. So, see, there's already the attempt is being made to say if you're only with one person for whatever length of time, then then that's okay, and all the verses in the Bible that talk about sexual immorality don't apply to you because you're monogamous, because you're faithful to that person, you are committed to that person. But if you aren't, then those verses apply to you. So there's a kind of a cut and paste going on in terms of which verses apply to this versus that. And that's the case that's being made by the theologians of the revisionist effort to look at the verses in, in Romans, for example, and Thessalonians and Timothy and, and uh, Colossians, other places to say, well, St. Paul was not talking about there. He was not talking about people that are in committed relationships. He, the, the effort is even to go back to the Old Testament and, and look at the, sto- the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and to say that had nothing to do with people that were in committed, loving relationships. So that doesn't apply. Oh, mercy. But you see, that's where the disconnect is. Because if... I buy into that and I support that and now I become militant about it and we'll define it that way, then we're not going to have a conversation because there's not going to be any openness. So there's a little bit of a sense of kind of knowing where somebody is coming from in order to be able to have for it to be a conversation with your friend. It, it reached that point where it wasn't going to be, but I would say prayerfully to Remain open to the possibility that God may bring about some other things happening in that life that you could never make happen, but God can do it. And when and if the wheels come off, you might be the very person that person calls. And if that's the case, you want to be able to respond, not say, I was done with you a long time ago and I'm done with you now. See, and, and, and that's, that would be legit. Yeah. They would do that. And that's kind of, you know, I mean, I'm older. So before this current time, I had people that came out and I always treated them like you said, because like, you never know down yep. the road, they yep. can come back to you. Yep. But this particular one, because mm-hmm. I think militant is the, is militant the term. Militant is the she term. Is very militant. Mm-hmm. There is no conversation. Yeah. And seeing and hearing her talk, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have a lot of, normal contact yeah. I was just like you know mm-hmm. we'll just distance ourselves but I will still hear sure. if something happens yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay uh yeah you already touched on it we're talking a lot about what we can do mm-hmm. how much do we really believe in God's transforming grace right and he's had the conversations and that's sometimes our um the urgency that we feel to fix somebody that is broken and maybe in our eyes more broken than we are, you know how we do that. And and then particularly if it's somebody that we love and care deeply for, 
and care deeply about, there is a kind of a urge, I guess, to want to fix them. And have, have, how many of you have ever had somebody that wanted to try to fix you? <laughs> oh, I guess everybody, huh? Yeah, and how receptive were you to that? Did you like welcome that? Was that like something you were looking forward to the next conversation with that person because you just knew that they only had your best interests in mind and, and clearly you've like fallen and, and need to be corrected? No, no, nobody likes that. So there is a little bit of a sense of, I think sometimes letting God do his thing in the timing in which he does it. Um, again, I kind of always go back to the story of the prodigal son. And I really do try to let that inform how I want to be when that person comes back. And that to me is a more powerful depiction of keeping the door open than it is the idea of chasing after that kid who takes his money and says, I wish you were dead. That's pretty militant, in fact, you know, and then chasing after him and trying to, to say, see, I told you, see, I told you, see, I told you. There's none of that in the story. And I think that's a great um, picture. First of all, how God is toward me, because I'm running away all the time too, maybe in a different way, but still running away. And then that picture would, kind of in an imperfect way inform how I'm going to try to be too. Does that make sense? Yeah. There are some people that will look at that position and say, you're not being true to what the Bible says and you need to be, have a harder, take a harder position or take a, make a harder case for that. And I would just say, I'm willing to live with that. I'm willing to live with that accusation. It's living in the tension of both places. But for me, that works. Okay. But maybe that doesn't work for everybody. I just have to, I have to go the, what, what makes sense to me. Okay. Thoughts. You know, we're never actually going to get to the lesson for today. I just wanted to warn you that. Yeah, but that's okay. We're in the lesson, right? We're in this. And I, and I, I really do want to be um, as upfront about this as, as we can. Yeah, Kathy. I really appreciate the comment about the, the sin versus grace. I mean, yeah. We all sin. We talked about that last week. Yes. But we like to pick those sins. <coughs> oh, yeah. This, this is a sin, but oh, that's not a big sin. Right. And that's one of my hang-ups. But the other thing I was thinking of when you're talking about the sin versus grace is we let our pride get in the way. And I have found for myself when I'm encountering these situations, I just have to say to myself, I'm not God. Right. And if I start thinking I know all the answers, mm -hmm. aren't, aren't I committing this in pride? Mm -hmm. So maybe I just need to shut up and let God kind of, not say fix it, but let him. Mm -hmm. And then I, my job will be there later because right. we can't think we are God. Mm -hmm. And we do. You hear people, I'm thinking, gee, they sound awful judgy. I don't want to be the judge. Yeah, I think sometimes that's fueled more by our fear. You know, think about times when you've been fearful or anxious about something. Um, the tendency to want to uh, uh, sort of reassert your control over a situation is kind of fueled by feeling out of control, right? I mean, that's kind of a natural thing. And then it's easy to start playing God. 
And the good news is God has wonderful ways of reminding us that we're not. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that kind of what he does? And, and so that's the good news. It's not particularly enjoyable to have to learn it that way. Right? But, but that, to some degree, is also the lesson we learn. Yeah. I was going to say, you just, you just used that four-letter word right here. I used the four-letter word? Yeah, fear. Fear, yeah. And I think that that fear of coming into our arena, whether it be our kids or whatever, mm-hmm. has inflamed the language we use when we talk about yeah. that. I mean, yeah. you know, I was thinking as you were talking uh, you know, if somebody is a pathological liar, mm-hmm. they're always lying. That's a sin, too. Sure. And I suppose they've studied that, and there are right. people that are just compelled to lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, sometimes the, the language that's used to describe a conservative position is labeled as homophobic. And, you know, when you use the word phobic about something... That sort of is used in such a way that it discounts anything that you believe. Well, you're just phobic. You're just fearful. I think that there is concern, I would say, for us to be concerned or some, to be attentive to the attempt at a wider, in a wider way to redefine the Bible. I think that we should be, we should be vigilant about that. I think it's worth it to be vigilant about it. Because we're talking about an attack on the word. We're not just talking about an issue of uh, society and culture and maybe that individual person that you have a relationship with. It's a, it's a bigger deal. Because if you start to erode the scriptures, now we're talking about, well, where does my ultimate reassurance come from? Is there anything I can be sure of in terms of my faith life, particularly with respect to salvation? Or is it all up in the, up in the air now? So, so to me, that's, that's part of the bigger thing going on in addition to the lesser thing going on in terms of people's individual uh, struggles with this. Okay. So just, you know, part of it is having a way to not get so upset at this that it causes you to shut down the opportunity to have the conversation. And yet, granted, we're spending a lot of time talking about um, homosexuality and all those kinds of things, partly because that's being pushed on us now in a way that it was not in the past. So we're having to respond to it as we should, okay? But that's not to say that's the only way that people can uh, engage in sexual immorality. There's a lot of different ways that people can do that today, okay? And how our society rolls makes it harder and harder to be a Christian who says that's wrong. You can expect pushback on that. Okay. All right. That's, that's how it is. Okay. Any other thoughts? Well, I think what we'll do before we get into the lesson for today (laughs) is I think what we'll do is stop here. Would that be okay if we do that? And, but I promise you next week, then we're going to talk about people living together outside of marriage. That's another thing. See that uh, culturally is like in total acceptance mode. And so how do you, what do you do with that as a Christian? We don't really, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on gay marriage because we sort of really, I think covered that, (laughs) but we are going to talk about pornography and then we'll talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
All right. So those things. And then no matter what. Yeah, here I'm going to make this grand statement um, is that the following week we'll talk about what what is it that the sixth commandment is promoting, not just forbidding. Okay, so, you know, marriage and stuff like that. How do you you know, what's a good good thing? What's the Bible say about good relationships? That kind of thing. We'll do that. And so we're on a two week limit for the sixth commandment. Right. And I, I will do that. And then uh, you hold me to that. I know some of you are skeptics already. I can see that in your face. So if I end up cutting you off in like no more questions, well, then I'll just have to. I uh, know I feel guilty for the rest of the week. If I do that, but we'll do that. OK, let's close a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for. Again, the way that your word speaks to us and to some degree, it's it's hard because sometimes that word says stuff that that we struggle with and we think, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be the most popular person when I speak your word and and all those kinds of things. Sometimes we end up having to speak the word of no and yes to people we love and people we care about, but people who clearly have an entirely different view of, of life and, and, and life with you. And so how, how do we do that? These are all struggles we have, and these are real, Lord. But thank you for your word that reminds us every single day that there's nothing we can do to stop you from loving us and that you pursue us and that you come after us with an open arm that says, yeah, you're making a bunch of dumb uh, choices, but but my love for you doesn't change. And that's the thing we hang on to. And that's the thing we want to share. So for those of us that, that have relationships where these hard conversations take place, comfort us by that, that, that you're at work in a far deeper and more profound way than we could ever be. And that you have the bigger picture than we could ever see. And, and help us to trust in you, to trust in your grace and the power of the gospel to transform people's lives in whatever way you see fit. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.